0: In this episode, we're having a conversation about cameras on versus cameras off in Zoom.
1: Engagement, participation, and knowing our students. Three topics faculty are always grappling with. We tackle these and more. But first, we have our new co-host, student co-host, Mana, and we're gonna give her an opportunity to introduce herself to the audience.
2: Yay! Hi, everyone. My name is Mana. I'm a computer science major. This is my second year at Murakosa. Right now, I'm taking four classes this semester. Three of them are synchronous. So sometimes I have my cameras on. Sometimes I don't. It depends on the day, on my mood, sometimes on the topic, not going to (laughs) lie. So (laughs) it depends, you know?
0: All right. Let's get into the conversation. Here it is. All right, so we're all having these experiences teaching remotely, and many of us are experiencing nonstop Zooms with cameras on and also with cameras off, so um, thought it'd be a good place to start by just sharing some stories about our experiences. Um, so Krista, how how has Zoom been for you with, with students having cameras on, cameras off,
3: etc.?
4: Thanks, Curry. Um, I'm teaching three um, courses this this semester, and all of them are scheduled Zoom sessions. I don't have a requirement for students to have their cameras on, and I would say that I have a pretty good turnout, but I probably only have maybe 5% to 10% of the students who have their cameras on voluntarily. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them have their cameras off. A lot of times they will turn their cameras on when they talk. So when they're just kind of listening, they're, they're off, but when they, um, want to say something or make a comment, they'll turn their camera on. I have noticed that when they come to office hours, they have their camera on. Okay. So there, there's a difference between coming in by themselves to an office hour, you know, that. We're private. I want to see you. I want to talk to you. I want you to see me versus being in you know the full class and not maybe feeling the same way about having their camera on. And that is probably a lot of reasons,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. that's really interesting that you know, you say when the students who would normally have their cameras off will put their cameras on during office hours because I always t- kind of try to parallel this situation to uh, what we were experiencing face to face. And you'll have a quiet student, not really engaged, but when they come to office hours, you're like, oh, damn, you've been listening, you've been paying attention. And and they kind of come alive in the same way that they turn on their camera when it is this one-on-one with you. And Krista, I've observed your teaching before, and I just think you're really brilliant in the classroom, right, And and how you connect with students and just the way that you facilitate discussions and the way that you are relatable to students, but still have like a professional distance, which I don't even know if that's intentional, but it, it, it's masterfully done. How has it been for you as an instructor doing these synchronous classes to these blank screens and not having that same dynamic that I know that you've not just become accustomed to, that, but that you've so skillfully um, developed over, over years?
4: For me personally, it sucks. You know, I I totally miss um, the classroom. I always make the joke that as soon as the campus opens, I will be running over everyone in the psych <laughs> department to, to be first in line to get back on campus. So it, just personally, I, I miss that difference. I'm also not a seasoned, to be frank, right? I'm not a seasoned online instructor this was not something that I had done previously in my 20 years as a full-timer. So last March, when we all went online, that was my first time. So I think I'm learning a lot. And I'm always trying to remind my students that although I am the instructor of record, I'm also learning along with everyone else. Hopefully I'm a lifelong learner. And so I I like the fact that we're kind of going through this together for, for a lot of people. But I I don't think this is just me personally, and it might depend on the class. I haven't got the feeling that the students aren't interacting with me just because their camera is not on. Mm. I don't I don't feel that way. I feel like. We're still having conversations. It, it is weird sometimes to look out and see a bunch of screens instead of people. Um, but I, I still feel like we're making those connections. We're still having meaningful conversations. And again, that might be the classes that I teach. It might have something to do with the content matter. It might be different in you know, a class like lab, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also have seen in my 20 years of, of you know teaching that people feel that if you can see the face that they're paying attention and I don't agree with that and I think teachers forget that we were students <laughs> and we used to sit and stare at the teacher while we were planning what we were going to do that night <laughs> or something and so I don't think that necessarily having a camera on means that they're paying attention. I think that it's hard for us to adjust, but we have to realize that we just have to keep we have to keep going. We have to just keep checking in and doing what we can.
0: Yeah yeah you know the 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 other thing that that anecdote about the student that will show up to office hours and talk but is really quiet in class makes me think about if I think about my zoom experiences, with regards to classroom settings, I wonder if the camera on student is also that student who wants to sit in the front row and the camera off student is the one that just wants to sort of be in the back and absorb, right? Mana, you're shaking your head. What do you think? No,
2: I don't think, I mean, I personally, I always turn on my camera just to avoid distraction because I have so many things in my room that can distract me. So I don't know, it depends. That may be the case, but I I don't think so. It's just a lot of stuff right now that I don't think we can just say, you know, that may be the case. That might be the case. But I think like right now, everything is like so messy that it's too hard to tell. So that's just what I think. I don't know what our instructors here think. You you know,
1: before we before we hit record on the session here, Mana, you were saying that you're taking Zoom synchronous classes because you are not comfortable or you would prefer that scheduled time and, and that live time with the instructor and other students. Can you talk about that preference a little bit? Because and, and, it seems like online classes, especially asynchronous, are growing at a rate you know that we haven't seen before. And there are a lot of offerings in that space. Why, why do you still prefer the, the live session times?
2: Well, I prefer the live session because you get a lot of human interaction, even though you may not see the picture. I just feel like we're all so we're all cooped up in our homes and we don't get to go outside a lot. And when we go outside, it's just all these restrictions. And when you have that class, it's just you know you you get that interaction, you get to talk to people, and uh, it just makes it makes my day better. So I just like that. And again, it's the distraction that I mentioned. I get distracted very easily. So just you know knowing that my instructor is always reminding me, hey, you got an exam coming up. You know your homework is due. That that's always really good for me. Um, and then, again, the thing is that you hear other people, too. You know, your classmate is going to ask a question. Sometimes you may be shy, so you don't ask it. You know, someone else may ask it for you. So um, I think that's really good. And um, I think it's beneficial. So I always prefer <laughs> just synchronous classes. I think it's just more interaction. And I like it better overall.
0: And so the, 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 the synchronous sort of format helps to, um, it helps with accountability to a degree, but Mana, it sounds like you're saying that also having the camera on helps as well. It helps you to stay focused to not be distracted. But I wonder on our side, the teacher's side, are we are we encouraging our students for that reason? Um, are we only encouraging that because we really like those faces? I'm hearing kind of both sides. Tyrone, do you want to share uh, your experience? How, how are you Setting up camera policies, how are you encouraging students either way? And, and what are the motivations behind that?
3: I'd say my experiences are similar to Krista's, in that maybe 5 to 10% of students in my courses voluntarily put their camera on. I certainly don't require it. Yeah. And I'm personally teaching to a bunch of screens that just have a person's name on it with white letters doesn't bother me at all. and. Sometimes it's been distracting when students turn their cameras on, and I've had to ask them to turn their camera off, or I've had to quickly turn their camera off because I've seen mom dancing in the background, making out. I've seen people walking at work while they're, it looks like, waiting tables, possibly, and taking their online class. So I have to filter that stuff out. And that becomes just one more thing I have to keep an eye on as an instructor while I'm trying to teach a class. And so that sometimes I think thank you for turning your camera off <laughs> today in this space that so I can focus on giving you the best lecture and discussion facilitating I can m- muster today and not have to look at you know, 20 different screens and see what's happening on all of them at the same time, in addition to looking at my own slideshow and making sure there's no typos or anything there. If I, if I could share really quickly, my perspective on online teaching maybe is a little bit different in this way. Um, I first started teaching online classes probably in like 2013. The only choice was asynchronous. There was no way to connect with students in real time uh, when I first started online classes. So to me, being able to do it synchronously synchronously in Zoom is actually a really big advantage. So if the student is present, camera on or off, I'm, I'm happy that we can connect that way. My biggest concern is the student who's in the class and didn't show up that day on Zoom. What's happening with that student?
1: you you know you you bring up a good point tyrone about the kind of how it could be distracting right and and we're got all these competing obligations when we're looking at a screen and we're trying to see like what what's going on in their background what what kind of reactions that they're having and when you have all the cameras on, the students are doing the same thing. They may be more concerned with like a mirroring effect of like how people are looking at me, how are they looking at my background? What are those judgments? And we have that in our everyday, like the way we dress and, and, and the way we present ourselves in public. And kind of along those same lines is that we really rely on gestures and, and our the movements of our body to understand communication fully or to the best of our ability. And that's lacking in Zoom in a lot of ways. So I kind of want to ask Krista from the psychological perspective, what are maybe some concerns you have about the way we're doing things now or um, issues of cognitive load and and how people are going to, how people are experiencing it now, but also coming out of this, what what kind of psychological impacts and, and implications we have to look forward to, which is a weird way of putting it, but yes
4: there's too many to talk about.
1: (laughs) Um, (laughs) Certainly,
4: And I think it's, I think it's for all of us. It's, it's for the students. It's for the faculty. It's for the staff. It's for everyone, you know, that's MiraCosta and every other college and K through 12. I was reading something that the K through 12 teachers, they want the camera on because they want to see the face so they can see if the student doesn't understand. And that makes sense maybe at at a lower um, grade when students haven't psychologically been able to maybe monitor their emotions and monitor what's going on. And so again, I think that we have to think about in the classroom when we were there, a lot of us there were, were, we think that we can see if there's something wrong. And I think some teachers do, right? They can, I tell my students this, when, when you've been here, every day or every other day for so many weeks i can see a difference in your face so i think we're missing that yeah. and that might not be the difference that they don't understand the statistical procedure i'm doing it's that there's something going on emotionally and i need to reach out so i think we're missing that obviously we and psychologically that's that's probably the worst part of this because we're in a we're in a time right now where our students need to be seen for all of the emotional stress that's going on. So I think that that is a real problem, but I don't know if a camera in an hour and 15 minute Zoom session is gonna capture that. I think probably not. And I think it goes back to what Tyrone said. It's not whether they're there and have the camera on, it's the ones that aren't showing up that might be where we need to place the concern and maybe reaching out to those students and, and seeing what's going on. On the other side, I, I when you're talking about like the change, I think there could be a psychological shift that students don't want to come back to the classroom. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is a big, you know, topic, I think, that I don't know if we have done enough to maybe talk to the students about this. Especially when you compare community college to a four-year with us not having dorms and fraternities and sororities and big sport kind of things that keep people wanting to come back is the whole psychological you know ideology of going being a college student going to going to change are we going to see that our students want more online classes and less on-ground classes and are all of us prepared for that because I'm not yeah so I, I think there's so much they they have this new term i there's always terms right zoom fatigue sean you've probably heard of it everyone's probably heard of it that people don't want to turn their cameras on because they're tired when we sit in a traditional classroom you know we've been taught from the beginning we all face forward we don't really see each other right you know we we really don't if you're forced to work in a group and i say forced because some students don't like that (laughs) then maybe you have to look at each other but you're facing the instructor. And so if you think about it, they're still doing that because my camera's on and they're facing the instructor and this is what they're used to. And so sometimes being forced to stare at other people is traumatizing. You know, mm-hmm. for some people, I know they talk about the personal, like what their house looks like, the, the feeling of I'm already anxious about this. I'm, I'm anxious about being front and center. If they can see me, will they call on me? I, I don't want to be called on there. I don't know, Sean, we could. Yeah, we might have to have a podcast every day for the rest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no kidding. No kidding.
4: Well, and I keep trying to think it. OK, well,
0: maybe maybe the Zoom we all see each other is like having a class where we all get into a circle and we all kind of, you know, then you are kind of seeing. But it's really not like that because. In Zoom, it's like we're this close to each other. Like, so it'd be a certain. It'd be like two rows where we're right in each other's faces, staring. You know, noticing every little movement and twitch. Um, it is. It's both. It's. It's. There's a, a shared connection because I can see people, but it's also overwhelming at the same time. It's. It's distracting just as much as it's immersing, right? So, so what are other? Just while we're on this topic, what are other inappropriate? overuses of cameras that we're experiencing. And and I almost I almost want to ask Tyrone, like the flip side, uh, the fact that now a student can attend a class while they might also be working, right? For us to say, well, you know, your camera doesn't need to be on. In fact, please don't turn it on because it's distracting. For that particular student, that that's tricky for me. Like I remember I've been I've been teaching online for quite a while and I've often used Zoom classes, synchronous classes as sort of like a, a workshop in the middle, just to let us all kind of connect. And I've had students log in forever, driving their car home from work, right? And they get this nice nostril shot as they, you know, turn <laughs> they talk to us. And I'm like, okay, just listen. Please don't don't look at the camera. Don't don't just pay attention. <laughs> there are gonna be notes when you come back. <laughs> But, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm curious, you know, this, the, the great thing about a synchronous online class is anybody can access it from anywhere, but we're also creating potential for distracted learning, right? Yeah. And so the camera on could be a check, you know, don't log in if you're distracted. If you're working, let's find an accommodation, you know, maybe
3: I'm just exploring it from that angle. No, I, I think there's a point there. I mean... Honestly, I, I like the 5 to 10% of students who do want to have the synchronous class with the camera on because then I can always do an instant sound check and be like, okay, we're back from breakout rooms. Can everyone hear me? <laughs> or um, was that enough examples? Can we move on to the next topic? And if, as long as one student has their camera on and I see their head nod or something, I'm like, okay, cool. Or right. you know, one person will turn their mic on and say, yeah, we got it. So one thought is that Students are multitasking when they're taking a, a, a synchronous course a lot of times. Um, yeah. and, and sometimes they're multitasking because they have to. If, if they wanted to, they would be sitting at their desk, right. fully paying attention to the class and being engaged. But for every reason, their supervisor scheduled them for a shift while they have class, even though the supervisor said they wouldn't do that. Or they were asked to watch their younger sibling or they're, they're um, watching their their child. Um, at the same time, they're taking this online course. Right. So I feel like I have, I have to have that flexibility as an instructor. And if the student wants to be there and they're driving in their car, as you said, then they can listen to it. They'll get some of the information, hopefully most of the information, um, and hopefully they'll get home safely in, in their car. So I think that's 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 true. Yeah, there's something that that Krista said that I wanted to build on, which was that the conversation of when once we start to return to on site in person instruction. I feel there's going to be this split. We already have it where the students who come during the day tend to be younger full time students, the students who come in the evening tend to be more mature working students. And I have a feeling that the students who want to return to in-person instruction are going to be a certain type of student, and the ones who want to stay in online instruction predominantly are going to be a different type, and so we're kind of working with these two different student populations. And Curry, you mentioned this dynamic of like, what is Zoom? Is it like being in a circular classroom with the desks all facing inward? I've I've thought of that analogy and it's kind of like that, but you know it's also kind of like? It's also kind of like speed dating. So huh. if you've ever done a speed dating activity in class where you have the desks face to face and you have students talk to each other about a certain topic for five minutes and they switch chairs and they keep doing that, yeah, that it's very powerful. It's also very emotionally taxing and you're asking a lot of energy from the students to constantly do that. Right. That's right. And this is kind of that dynamic where we're just seeing each other's faces the whole time as you said very up close
1: so my experience because i have both asynchronous and synchronous classes and i do have like every other week i meet up with the asynchronous class via zoom um i'm experiencing the same thing 10 percent. i've never really you know crunched the numbers but it's a few people who are uh, have the cameras on and it's consistent when you know i do team based learning and i've attempted to do this online in these synchronous courses when they break out into breakout rooms they are more likely to turn on their cameras in that space right it's a little bit more intimate they know the people in that space a little bit better through the activities that they've completed together throughout the semester and then they use their mics more too and i just kind of think cuz i've heard a lot of different uh versions and 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 kind of conflicting views of Cameras on cameras off being an equity issue. And some people, you know, we had this longstanding tradition in academia of just lecture, chalk, and talk. And then it was like, no, we need to do more active learning. And then you see like when you have um the zoom situation, some students prefer like, I want to turn the zoom on. I want to listen to the lecture, and yeah, maybe I'm doing other things, right? Or they want more engagement, the breakout room, so that they can feel like they are part of the class and they're having that more uh, that that more contemporary classroom experience. So I guess my question, and just kind of up open for discussion, and maybe we'll start with. Mana is like, what would you prefer as a student when, when you're coming into a Zoom room? What are, I guess, what are your expectations first? Is it gonna be straight lecture or you're gonna break out into rooms, you're gonna do activities or do you have a different expectation? And then with your experiences in both of those kind of formats, like what, how has that been for you and how effective do you think it is?
2: Um, that's really interesting that, that you brought like the breakout rooms that's exactly what happens in one of my classes so um, my instructor they give they kind of lecture and then they send us to breakout rooms and then you know we're into we're in all these little groups and I've seen a lot of my classmates that they instantly turn their cameras on and their mics on and they start talking and I'm like oh that's interesting and the and the minute we go back to the main room it's off and you don't hear anything and and I think it's just like how they would be in real life, you know, you don't talk to everyone in your classroom. so if you're if you're placed in a group, you always talk with your groupmates and you talk about the project that you're working on. So I think that's just I wouldn't say one hundred percent, but that's really like a reflection of who they are as as a person and how they want to be seen. But at the same time, I really like seeing faces. So I always encourage everyone to turn on their cameras because I want to see, like, hey, who's my classmate? You know, When you see faces, for me, it's easier to remember. So I'm just like, hey, if I see you in another class, I may be like, hey, do you remember we took that class together? Maybe we could be friends. Maybe I could help them out or maybe they could help me in the future. So that's something that I like. I feel like um, we're just lacking a lot of friendship and we're lacking that connection. And I think that's bad because we're taking all these classes and we don't know who we're taking the classes with unless we recognize their name. Yeah, some people have like a little photo of them. Um, You can see their face, but usually they don't have any photos. Sometimes they have like a little cartoon or I don't know, like a superhero or something. and You you won't even notice. So I think that's what I'm missing the most because I feel like you are missing out on that networking. And I would really prefer if they had like their cameras on or at least if they were speaking. I would know, hey, you know good to see you you know <laughs> now i know how you look like but at the same time i've heard about the privacy issue as well how uh, they say um you know they don't want to show where they're living or it's just not right mandating it you know we, we don't want to mandate it and we don't want to force people to just show their space so it's yes and no <laughs> i like it yeah. but i don't
1: <laughs> and for everybody it's kind of a, when you do the breakout rooms let's say you do a think pair share where we're, the breakout rooms consist of two students um, that discuss something, come back, and then maybe report to the larger class. Some people get outed as like either not paying attention or they're not near the computer, right? Because they're like, I just talked to the screen for the last five minutes, and nobody was there. Now, does that bring up equity issues? And like maybe you know some people are like connecting on their phone and they can't really like their mic doesn't work or or their device isn't like fully, you know up to snuff for what we're trying to accomplish here. Can either of you, Tyrone or Krista, kind of speak to those issues that we see in our classrooms?
4: Well, I think there is an equity issue there. Um, And I think that it just compounds the stress and anxiety that they're feeling in their lives, you know, because of the things that have been going on since we transitioned last March. You know, it could be financial, personal you know, all all of that I think is is a problem already. And then having to worry about what I'm going to look like on the camera or do I have the right device? Do I have the right microphone? I, I think um, that would cause people to actually not show up or you know, not consider a synchronous class and the benefits of a synchronous class because they're so worried about that. And maybe they've heard other students talk about that. You know, and so I think that it, it speaks a lot to the expectation that, and, and sometimes we, again, we forget the expectation that every student that's in your synchronous class has the same setup you do, right? And that that's not the case. And that can be very embarrassing. Um, coming from a college that was very low income student this was a constant reminder that we had to remind teachers that students are you're, you're we're putting things out there that are causing them to feel embarrassed about who they are. Um, and so I I think that it is something that we have to consider, you know, and we have to Tyrone used the word flexible. And I think that's such an important word right now. We've got to be flexible.
3: Can I build on that? Sure. I, I think Krista makes a great a great point, and I feel that it is it is an equity issue. The cameras on, cameras off, um, technology. One is that just asking someone to have their camera on takes more. I think I don't, I don't. I'm not an IT person, but it seems to take more bandwidth. It seems to stretch their internet connection more than just uh, having their camera off and being able to communicate with audio. Um, Mm -hmm. So if the student does not have a strong internet connection to begin with, then forcing them to put the camera on is weakening it further and perhaps creating more more glitchiness, more spottiness, more interruptions. Um, That's one. Um, I think it's an assumption that all students have a camera or a phone with the camera.
4: Mm
3: -hmm. Um, I think most probably do, but to be honest, when, when we switched to online instruction in March 2020, um, I did most of my at-home computer work on a on an old Windows 7 computer that did not have a web camera on it. The one I had in my office at Miracosta does, but and so I was in the same situation I think a lot of students were, were like, okay, I'm taking an online class or now I'm teaching an online class. I don't have a web camera. I don't have a microphone. <laughs> what am I gonna do? Right. So then that's an equity issue, I I believe. And, and yeah, flexibility is important, trying to come up with ways to make the class accessible to everyone. It's really important. I, I record all of the synchronous sessions so that if a student's internet does cut out or something in the middle of the class, they can go back and pick up where they left and then and be able to still continue with, with their instruction and their learning. And so that, that brings to mind another
0: reference to the physical classroom, um, and it's, and and Mana, you made me think of this as well. The classroom itself facilitates a behavior, right? And it facilitates, it has, there's certain affordances that we take for granted when we're in a space together, right? And I think one of those is, because you're in a chair and you're sitting next to people, if I say, okay, go ahead and have a conversation with your classmates. Um, Mana, you point out, it's, you know, it's rude to not participate, like you talk to your group. so that space affords a like a vocal, you know, a, a engagement. Zoom breakout rooms might afford a visual engagement. It's kind of rude to sit there with a blank screen and not talk. Um, if I just talk, that's close, but maybe Zoom is facilitating this behavior of if I really want to greet my breakout roommates I turn my camera on. But but Tyrone, what you're saying is the for them to engage in that classroom activity, it assumes they have access to all of these resources, right? When we all are in a, a classroom together as a teacher maybe i don't have to think about it in that space of course they had to get to school right so transportation is an issue um, um scheduling being able to come to class depending on how far away is an issue so we're never going to be free of equity issues but i think for me it, what this conversation is making me think about is just just the you know the the modalities we teach with right which are different right and so i think it's helpful to think, in comparison to our on-site teaching to our, our kind of virtual uh, teaching. I want to have, I wanna like so ask that question about the affordances of Zoom. This has come up once or twice. Um, that presence is really important, right? And I think we take for granted that presence, we we recognize that as a visual thing. Like I know you're here with me because I can see it. And I think, for example, in Zoom, I know my students are interacting because suddenly the unmute thing goes away, right? Like like I can see a, a mic turned on and I'm like, ooh, someone's about to say something. Right. Um so there's there is that visual kind of nature of 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 being present in the space. But Tyrone, you you were talking about there are other things we can do synchronously in Zoom where I know they're participating. I can tell they're present with me. Um, could you speak Tyrone to just a little bit like what what does presence look like when
3: it's not visual, when it's not a camera on? Right. So a couple of activities I'll do is I'll say everyone uh, write a sentence in the chat that uses a semicolon based on the the slide and the example I just showed and then I see a stream of sentences I can read them out and say um good job I like this one yes go Lakers and you know whatever happens to be in the sentence I think another is that students voluntarily will press the raise your hand reaction or Participation button, and then I'll see, and I'll stop. I'll say, "Oh, so and so has a question. What's your question?" And then, they, and then they, and then I know, even if they haven't had their camera on the whole class, that they're paying attention and they want to know something further. So there are ways, yeah. Krista, how about you? Do you
4: do you have a sense of like folks are engaging that isn't because their camera's on? Absolutely, absolutely. Especially, I can think of stats class, and and David might be able to speak to this math teaching also that um, a lot of times when we were in the classroom I would have them put the homework on the board sometimes so we could discuss and so it wasn't always me doing something and um, so that's really embarrassing because if you go up there and write it and you have the wrong answer everyone in class now knows that you don't know what you're doing to get the standard deviation (laughs) or whatever and so this way they can show their screen or they put their answer in the chat and their face isn't there. And I think there's a level of being anonymous that takes the sting out of or embarrassment. And I think this helps psychologically to want to share more. And so even if their camera's not on, they're all participating. They're they're sending me their answer. They're, they'll, they'll be like, can I share the, my whiteboard? And... You know their calculation, and I I just that has been, I think, something really positive that maybe didn't happen in the classroom.
5: I do think that there is something to that, Krista. Uh, I'm, I'm on the probably on the other side of the coin. I'm I'm going through like in my calculus class in the fall. I'm there's 35 people there, and I go through 10 or 12, 15. I'm going down by their name, and I'm asking them if they understood, I'm asking if if they have any questions about notation, any questions about whatever the topic is, and go around, and I'm asking for contributions, small little bits where they can contribute something, because most of my students, due to my topics, can't use chat to write what they're talking about. They don't have access to a nice template to um, throw in their their math notation, Um, especially for most, that's what they're having difficulty with, they don't know what it means. So I, I, I'm, I'm limited in a different way, but I, I, I see a lot of, well, from what I'm hearing, like especially what with, with Tyrone brought up about not having the right uh, equipment and not having the right technology. There is a history here at Maricosta and especially at community colleges in California, but at Maricosta in particular, for not outfitting our colleagues and our students with the right equipment. Uh, Maricosta has been particularly reluctant to build student labs, to require uh, technology use because we don't want to spend money on the space. And so that means we end up putting students in this weird position um, where, where if they were in Texas, if they were in Connecticut or New York, it would be very clear what were the technology requirements were and that the institution had some level of responsibility to meet those um, technology needs. And if we just say, well, students can do whatever, we're not gonna put any barriers in place. I mean, that, that's pretty cool, but we're also saying, and if you want a modern class experience, you can't participate. Um, and, we're, and we do it so far as that our own colleagues aren't properly outfitted to meet their classroom. And I, it was all over the place in the math department with teachers who didn't know how to use Canvas in any way, didn't use any kind of technology. They were, they were old school projector people. They were old school only whiteboard people. And we threw them to the wolves. I mean, I, I tried to do what I could. I know that like Sean and a lot of other people pr- provided support, but what the heck did we do to each other to get to this place? it was done purposefully over many years at maricosta and we have no excuse for it because we have funds to 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 address these issues and we've chosen purposefully not to
1: yeah so and, no david that's certainly really really good points and and a historical conf- uh, context that gets to some of these frustrations that we have and some things that you know now in hindsight and maybe it wasn't in hindsight for a lot of you that are directly dealing with it could have been prevented and could have been avoided and we could have been ahead of this thing but in that same way you know in this discussion we've talked a lot about not needing the the cameras to be on in our classes kind of generally and then in the breakout rooms they kind of come out a little bit more but on this theme of technology, can you speak to, because I know I've had conversations with you about this, can you speak to what situations um, really call for cameras to be on and and why that is an important thing for particular disciplines, even if it's not for your class specifically? just I know that you understand these arguments probably yes. at a better level than I do.
5: I, I, I'm going to say for cameras on is assessment. It's really on the assessment days. It, it's that, that I need to know who it is that's, that's doing the thing that we're asking them to do. And I need to be able to see um, what they're accessing. And for some of my students who are tech, having challenges with technology, sometimes what they can do is they can say, see, <laughs> they can lift up something, whether it's paper, whether it's a calculator, whether it's their tablet and say, see, this is what I'm dealing with. And Um, I also get a lot when I see their faces, I see their bodies, and I see what they're doing. And Sean, I also get a lot when I'm seeing they're literally in their bed, covers up, and one eyeball is peeking out. (laughs) They're communicating a great deal to me, and it's not necessarily something that I would see in a punitive way. I'm just thinking, okay, for this day, that student who is normally not that way, today is a special day for them.
1: Right.
5: So in in the same way that I would see the body language and facial expression and how someone is carrying themselves, whether or not they normally have clean clothes on. And today they don't have clean clothes on. I'm like, okay, so this is not going to be the day that I'm going to press that person. I might ask them other things. I might ask them, well, during a break time. So how is it going? And how are you feeling? And I wouldn't be prompted to do that. If I relied on their chat, I, I need some kind of visual. And I know that at least one of the comments that came up, not in my area, came up from Spanish. And um, the, the context was having notes in surf that tell students where you, you need to have your, your camera and your mics on in an asynchronous course offering, and, um, and she was writing about, because her dean asked her, hey, we're having this conversation, can you tell us why languages has had this long-standing note in surf? And she said pretty simply in a paragraph, uh, hey, you know, a lot of people in the community speak Spanish, and we don't know who is in our class, and we don't know who's contributing unless we can see who they are and that that's actually their student. And there, there seemed to be no further explanation needed. And so in one sense, some of my guard is to make sure that that stuff is accepted, even though in my classroom, other than assessment date, n- no one is required to put stuff on. I won't take any points off. I'm not gonna you know, hurt somebody who didn't in, you know, intend to be in this environment, but um, it sure is awkward. When, um, when, when we're telling colleagues who sort of need this or have had that history of having these things, um, by the way, you can't, because her dean was asking her to respond to this because another dean was saying that under no circumstances should anybody be asked to have their cameras on or microphones on. And it kind of made sense in that dean's area and their experience, why would you need this? Ooh, I, there's another little issue that's really d- ugly, and that's um, that right now our institution is counting on the increase in success numbers from the spring in COVID and from the fall in COVID. We've had a huge increase in student success. Do you guys know about that,
1: right? Well, can you can you explain, like, yeah, what the what student success means for the audience, and then what okay what so the problems around the increase, yeah.
5: So there's a a, a very. Interesting way to count student success, you can um, take out the students who've withdrawn, who had EWs, excused withdrawals. You can manipulate the numbers so that the definition of student success, people passing a class, is probably not what most of us would think it is. But institutionally, when we look at other institutions and we see that they're doing this, then we feel really bad if we don't count in a similar way. And no institution locally that's similar to us wants to see drops in student success, although it's quite different from successful persistence. Mm. Um, so so people will mix in their conversation the successful persistence concepts with student success in a class with student success as in a general concept of students doing well in their studies. And so it depends on the on the goals. It depends on the conversation. It depends on the players in the conversation. But um, as a mathematician, I find it particularly disingenuous to let that stuff mix about without you know, calling a halt and saying, what, 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 what what do you mean? And why are we doing this? And I always appreciate it when I'm in some of those meetings, when their cameras are on and I can look them in the eye and say, okay, so wait a (laughs) minute, you're telling me that things were really good in the spring. You're happy with where we were. Right. And like, no, they're not exactly going to say that, but they are going to hold up student success data that Compared to the previous five springs before that, right. that we had our most successful spring ever at yeah. MiraCosta College in right. terms of student success. Right. Did you pass a class? Yeah. Anyway, so so you guys understand what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Everything we're doing right now needs to have a big asterisk like attached mm-hmm. to it, right? When we look back on
1: this, and 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 even as we look forward, Sean, you want to jump in there? Very yeah. quickly, kind of wanted to the implications of inflated student success numbers if. David, if you could like wrap that up in a couple sentences, because I think that'll be important, right? Like we're saying, okay, these numbers are inflated, but then what? What? What's the implication of that? What happens after that?
5: Well, when when you when you have institutional efforts to increase student success, you can say that we're continuing to sail on our voyage. We're doing the right things, and it makes the institution not responsible for dealing with. Difficult questions with the questions of technology and access, and you're saying, "Look, we've been doing the right thing. See things are great.
1: And I, I, I think most of us would say they're not yeah, so so it's what you're saying is it may justify um efforts that may or may not have efficacy in the real yes. in the real world because these numbers are inflated because of outside. Um, variables and the situation mm-hmm. of a pandemic and the way that we report success and withdraws. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay, cool. It, yep.
5: No, it's just to say that the, the, the pressure doesn't come from inside Maricosta. This is all legislative pressure. 20 years ago, th- this this focus was in an entirely different area from the legislature. And um, you know, I, I don't want people to think that Maricosta decided to be the bad guy and be disingenuous first. Right. We're answering to higher authorities.
4: Right. I just remember getting the message in March when this all went down. And I don't think this is word for word, but it's close. Do whatever you have to do to get them to the finish line and pass. Yeah. And so when Curry said there's got to be an asterisk, I mean, I think David as a mathematician, I teach stats. I think that Part of our job is to teach our students to be critical thinkers of data. (laughs) And that includes everyone who's going to be looking at this data that we just it's okay to have a conversation. It doesn't mean that someone did something wrong, like David's saying. It just means we need to have a conversation about the data that was collected. Yeah.
1: I think that that's a good point, point. and you know, our lives have changed. Maybe our entire lives need an asterisk for this particular period because, like, I, you know, I'll roll out of bed, and what do I usually do if we go to a face-to-face class? I will take a shower and put on real pants, and then go to go to class. But now I'm rolling out of bed. As long as I wash my face, I think if I put some sweatpants on, I'll be good to go for my Zoom session. So we're we're all kind of probably taking some shortcuts. I do want to end our conversation with because cameras on, cameras off. You know, there. I think David made great points and, and brought in the perspective of when it it is it is needed. You know, and when it's discipline specific, and when it's um, you know instructor's choice of like how they want to assess. there's a greater need for cameras on. And then other folks in the room here were more kind of like, I don't necessarily need that. I I, I like it when it happens. And then I think the student perspective for Mana shows us a a lot about kind of that balance too, of like, yeah, when we're in breakout rooms, it's cool, but why aren't they doing it in the larger session? And maybe we need some more regulation because you know this is kind of like the Wild Wild West with what we're doing now, because we're making it up as we go. So in sum, I do want to ask, student mana and and everyone else in the room, and maybe we'll start with Tyrone. you know, what does participation and engagement mean to you? And you could think cameras on cameras off, but but even in the face-to-face classroom, asynchronous, synchronous, what does participation and engagement mean to you? what What does that look like? What does that feel like when students are engaged and participating?
3: I can tell you how it feels like I, I actually know exactly how it feels like. if a class session ends, and I know that I heard at least at least something from every single student who was there in class that day. It was success. It was a success. Participation was high. And so, as an instructor, I have to try to design for that. How am I going to involve students and invite them in to want to participate, even if they haven't finished the homework or done the reading that was assigned. I still want to hear from them. I still want them to contribute in some way. So I have to have a mix of, of questions, as David said, kind of like check-in questions, like how is how are you doing with the assignment? And so, you know, you can answer that any way that you want, but that's participating. So it gives me a clue, like oh, maybe students are finding this more difficult than I thought, or maybe they're they're finding it um, easier than I thought. Um, so that's that's useful information. So, but how that happens, I think in a Zoom class is it could be through the chat it could be through turn the mic on it could be through um, they're in a breakout room i pop into the breakout room introduce myself listen to the conversation for a few minutes notice that everyone was talking and heard what they say and i leave and go to the next one so it isn't necessarily having to call out every person in class but that that's my plan i want to hear from everyone doesn't always happen but that's what i'm striving for and that's how i know
1: participation is happening you. and maybe Krista?
4: I think it does depend on the class you're teaching for what kind of participation or engagement you're you're looking for. Mm-hmm. i'm I'm usually looking for participation engagement to let me know that there's some comprehension, but also that there's some, you know they're applying to other stuff that's going on. So like if we're talking about statistics or in research methods, um, like ethics, and they bring in what's going on currently with, you know, vaccines, <laughs> and then they're asking, what does it really mean when they're 95% effective? Can we talk about that? Then I I know that they're interested in not just maybe learning something like a hand calculation, but they're actually interested in learning how to be critical consumers of what they're being bombarded with every day. And um, I think that that, makes me feel that they're engaged um, when they're asking those kinds of questions or can we talk about how this is you know, related to something, I'm feeling better. It would be great if everyone participated. And I think that's like a higher level, a lower level might just be that they're asking questions or looking for clarification on homework or you know, something like that. So some days I think we have to realize that that might be, I think David kind of alluded to this where there could be a student that's going through something and that low level of participation is enough mm-hmm. and then there's days where there's those higher levels of participation where you remember why you got into this field you know it's like the proverbial light bulb you know and it's it's it carries you it carries you when the other stuff's not carrying you i think yeah. when that, when that happens
1: absolutely and and Mana, maybe, you know, what participation looks like to you or what that word even means, right? Because we have that, you know, probably in most of the syllabi that you come across. What does participation to you mean as a student? But then I also want to know, like, how do you know that an instructor is engaged in participating as well?
2: Oh, That's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I told
1: you. told you we are going to get into some rough stuff.
2: <laughs> I know. I think... Well, I, I'm pretty sure that I thought participation looked in a certain way. I don't think that way anymore because of all, all the features that Zoom has and all the things that you can do on Canvas. So I don't I don't think you have to like show your face or even talk, just letting your classmates and your instructor know that um, you're paying attention in the smallest little way. Maybe it's just hitting a button or leaving a comment under someone's post in Canvas. I think that's really important. Just knowing that people are trying their best to communicate and be engaged. I think that's, I would just define that as participation because I think participation looks different for everyone. So I would just say like minimal conversations and anything that can just show their presence and engagement could be considered as participation.
5: Thank you. David,
0: what are your thoughts? Participation.
5: It, it depends on the class. It depends on where we are in the class and the semester. And I'll go to the beginning of class. So usually on the first day of class, um, I'm going to try to engage people who I'm going I'm to look for women. I'm going to look for students of color. And I, w- I want to send a message to everybody that whatever you thought in your previous math class probably isn't going to be what you're going to find here. And um, if you think you can be an innocent bystander, that in one sense, that's really not very fair. And if you think you're gonna be super comfortable and everything is just, everybody else is gonna do the heavy lifting and you're just gonna sit back and watch them and give them thumbs up, that's also not gonna be cool. That's, that's not, we're, we're, we're all here to grow, push ourselves, learn. And in one sense, get okay with being wrong. Get okay with making mistakes and get okay with making mistakes in front of people. In fact, as we grow, we're going to be more okay with making more mistakes more often. And we might have to hold each other back at some times because we're so used to making so many mistakes. Um, And I try to get that going the first day. And sometimes um, I'll get people that come up in the first two questions. Everybody does them perfectly. Or you know the first couple of questions I ask people to work through. Hey, tell me what to write. What would the next step be in the in the procedure? Okay, so how do I check this? How do I know if we're right? Th- those kinds of questions, and everything comes out perfectly, and it's really frustrating because we didn't get the opportunity to talk about. Well, geez, what are the common mistakes and common pitfalls and common misunderstandings? We lost an opportunity. Mm. And then when that happens, I have to bring up, well, okay, guys, this was super awesome. And I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that people can come in on the first day and nail this. But here's my point. I wanted, I wanted us to have an opportunity to talk about possible mistakes, possible misunderstandings, things like this. So as we continue our class, let's look for that. And let's make it real safe to be wrong. And uh, we'll go, I'll, I'll talk to people. Okay, so how do you feel about being asked to do something in front of your colleagues and being wrong? Does it make you feel bad? Do you, co- hey, colleagues, when you see that person making the mistake, do you go imposter shouldn't even be here? It, 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 let's talk about these things, because we're, we need to overcome them. And um, anyway, that that's kind of, whatever the participation is, sometimes it's a nod of the head of, yeah. And sometimes that person had the marker or that person had the floor and they were explaining something. So it just depends. But, you know, just to be real straight out, when I think of equity issues, I'm going to go look for the people that I know have been underserved and underrepresented in my area. So I'm going to go look for those people and let everybody know here's the message.
1: Excellent. Thank you. And I think, you know, curry if we we started this podcast so that we can have a space safe space to be wrong and and so other people can help us course correct yeah
0: heck yeah heck yeah
1: (laughs) (laughs) that happened on this
0: podcast for me already um (laughs) thank you everybody for for joining us and sharing your insights really really appreciate it good to see you thank you thank
4: you thanks for inviting me
1: awesome Curry, what'd you think?
0: As always, amazing conversation. Um, I'm glad David uh, got to join us in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. And after, you know, after we turned the recording off, Tyrone uh, hung around for a little bit and shared um, some research that he, he he engaged in preparation for this episode, and and but just didn't you know just didn't have a chance to introduce it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the one of the reports he mentioned was talking about really the value of anonymity for. Um, um, students of minoritized groups um, mm-hmm. and how not being spotlighted uh, uh, is actually um, a benefit to them because they don't feel judged initially so that that cognitive load right is not there and you know it, it's it's an interesting to think about anonymity as a way to address racism in the classroom is interesting to me um, and so I, are, what are you thinking do you have thoughts about that Sean or have you thought about that before
1: well I think as far as the racial justice side of cameras on cameras off and anonymity in the classroom, you know, we don't know yet. And a lot of this research that's coming out on on racial equity, I mean, it's fast and furious, and we don't have any kind of conclusive data and findings um, despite what people may say in certain circles. So, I would just exercise caution because sometimes we find out that we're doing more harm than good to racial minorities when we start applying some of the really preliminary research. And it's not to discredit the research. It's great that it's out there, yeah. but when we have more in the next few years and we can kind of put it all together, do some meta analysis, we're, we're going to see, we're going to have a much clearer picture than we do right now. And I think it's cloudy. So to kind of prescribe any kind of uh standards procedures or recommendations is a little bit a little bit iffy at this point in in yeah. my view and that's just yeah. in my view.
0: well and and from a pedagogical perspective and really wanting to embrace um, um specific culturally sustaining practices like like funds of knowledge right yes. one of the things i want to do in a class is i want to spotlight um, um my students how they think how they express particular epi- you know epistemologies that are are you know linked to what they're bringing like their home learning their uh, uh etc and so i feel like on the one hand anonymity um it's a it there is some value there right um especially for minoritized groups who don't want to be spotlighted right away especially because they don't fully trust me yet or they're expecting something to happen in that space but i want i want to move past that as as f effectively as I can um, um, fairly quickly. In other words, and, and this is kind of where, where I hear you saying, Sean, and correct me if it's if I'm wrong, but I, I value the research as well and but I think where where anonymity is pointed to as a, um, a I hesitate to even use the word strategy, but a strategy for for addressing race, it's just accepting that racism, that those systems are in place, right? And that, and that this is a way to abide or to get through. But for me, that's it's so temporary and not a place, I'm not comfortable staying there. Do you agree with that or?
1: I do, and it's kind of like when you see you know, those studies that came out years ago about like job applications and the names on the application. Yeah. Like if we just strip the name, gender and things like that, it makes it more fair for everybody. But again, I think that goes to your point. That's just saying that we're okay with the racism as it is, but we just blind the we blindfold the racist. And then and then, you know, then things will be better. I don't I don't think that that's the way we should be going about it. There probably needs to be, you know, education all around and and um, an exposure to those kind of practices and implicit biases that occur. And then also a challenge of how valid those are so that we can. You know, do the push-pull to the compromise of um, whatever we're legitimizing as a as a larger population and as a larger academic body.
0: Yeah, and and again, I, I you and I want to be careful here, and just to say that this is good research, and and we're including yeah. in the show notes, you know, these reports and and good links, so we encourage folks to check it out.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think just going along the, the same lines of the equity issues, technology access. You know, I see. Our library and and um, that area of our campus really trying to you know get Wi-Fi hotspots out there, uh, laptops and devices and technology to students. Which you know as David points out, kind of that's like the baseline, like that's kind of what they need to just do this. But then the other tools that he was talking about that I'm not really familiar with, it seems like we may be lacking in in getting students connected to those resources and lacking in getting instructors to those resources so they can effectively use it with students. And so I just think along those lines, I know it's something that the associated student government um, probably talks about and has discussions about and tries to promote in different ways to students. And so, Mana, like, what's going on in that area? Maybe since last March to today, like, what are some of the things that y'all have been talking about in that space?
2: Yeah, yeah. So last year, when we hit the pandemic, I think it was during March. Um, the first thing that we did was, was we immediately allocated funds for hotspots and laptops, because that was like a very uh, urgent need. And we didn't know that we thought, you know, we were automatically assuming that a lot of students had access to laptops, hotspot, good internet. So that was really a shock to us. So we just wanted to make sure that Everyone has that. Uh, we also allocated funds to emergency grants. So if they need anything other than just technology that Miracosa doesn't offer, they can get it on their own. So I think it's really good that we did that. Um, this year, we haven't allocated any funds, but we're constantly making sure that everyone knows where to find the resources that are out there for them. You know, we might refer them to um, fill out a care form or to the care department. We just want to make sure they're getting whatever they need. Even if we don't allocate any funds to any department directly, we make sure that we're kind of that link in between.
0: My department was doing similar things in the fall. We, you know, budgets that were otherwise dedicated to printing, which no one's printing anything right now. So we're like, (laughs) we've got this money, we should do something meaningful with it. So my department was trying to figure out, well, could we buy some Chromebooks? Can we be part of that distribution of resources? And you know, I, as noble as that is, and I think that's just the reality, like all of us who have access to means and resources want to distribute them, um, but it's, it's fairly dis- disjointed, right? And, and, and limited, like we, you know, as a, as a small department or as a program, as a student body government, we can only do so much. So there really is an institutional need to, to ask, like, what is the future classroom? Like, you know, when we get past this pandemic, what, what will our cl- classrooms be? And how do we set things up so that we're not, you know, uh, uh, designing a classroom experience and then making students bring their own equipment to it? Like, like, how do we supply all the apparatus required of that space and that learning um, as an institution and, you know, as part of registering and enrolling and all that stuff? Just, yeah.
1: Yeah. And I know as we introduced at the beginning of this episode prior to the conversation starting that, Mana, this is your first um episode that you are co-hosting how to go for you listening in on this conversation and then uh, bringing in your perspective along the way how was that
2: uh, it was pretty amazing it was really nice and i feel like i just learned a lot and it's really interesting when you listen to people they all they all have very different perspectives and you just learn so much from each person so i really find value in that and i'm just really happy that I'm a part of this team, which means, you know, each episode, you get to learn a lot of new stuff, which I find really interesting and valuable and helpful. So it was just amazing. So, you know, I'm looking forward to future episodes. I'm not going anywhere.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. And, and, you know, something that I could say too is, um, and I hope it happens with our listeners as well, is when you started talking, I, I noticed, the the advantages of cameras on in Zoom, right? I noticed all of the faculty were very much engaged in paying attention to what you had to say. So yep. you are a very valuable perspective to have in this space. And I, I, I uh, thank you again for joining us and your willingness and also your willingness to not go away. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll think about <laughs> that if I ever try to kick you out, that you're not going out without a fight.
2: <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> nice. Well, thanks,
3: everybody.
1: See you next time
2: students and faculty engage topics. Dangerous discussions need a safe space.
1: This episode is supported by the Miracosa Foundation's Innovation Grant. The Safe Topics podcast is produced and engineered by Kelly Barnett. James Garcia handles promotion, student recruitment, and research. You can
0: find us on Twitter, Instagram, and safetopics.podbean.com.
4: Find us on Apple
3: and Spotify. Please rate and subscribe. Thanks for listening.